0: mark Riley show i'm mark Riley. glad you're with us as we head towards the end of august and the symbolic end of summer which of course comes right around labor day even though summer doesn't end until right around my birthday in mid-september it's uh really great weather we've had outside and we've got a bunch of stories we're going to talk to you about tonight and uh of course you can always give us a call at 877-874-4888, 877-874-4888. First story we're going to talk about is kind of sort of, to me, a nonsense story. Uh, It's a story that's been brought up, I think, principally to discredit the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, And it's about the question of uh, Sean King and whether or not he is, in fact, black. He's an activist. He's been accused of lying about his race. And he discussed his issues. Uh, You know, I'm wondering uh, exactly where this all comes from. Apparently, it came, to some extent, from the conservative blogosphere. Uh, So, you know, it's, it's no... You know, they got every right to do whatever it is they do and whatever it is they think is important or necessary for people to know. Uh, this is interesting because Sean King says, yes, the people who brought this up, these conservative bloggers and the, the conservative blogosphere uh, who are questioning his race and using it to undermine Black Lives Matter. People who criticize him over this, compare him to Rachel Dolezal, who, of course, was discredited after her parents said she was lying about being black. Sean King maintains he was not lying necessarily about being black. He didn't know who his father was and was always told that his father was a light-skinned black man. Now, apparently, his birth records show that his father was white. Uh, This isn't, by the way, the only time birth records versus what people are told may be at odds. It's not the first time. And the question of his validity or veracity to be a leader within the Black Lives Matter movement uh, is, to me, a little ludicrous, a little absurd, a little nonsensical. Is that too much? I, I I don't really care. The bottom line here is that Black Lives Matter has its own agenda. I don't agree with everything they talk about. I don't agree with everything they do. But then I don't agree with everything my wife does. It's, it's, you know, I believe it is a legitimate organization. The issue that brought it to life is a legitimate issue. You had Megyn Kelly the other day, you know, Fox News. I guess she was trying to uh, reboot her conservative street cred by asking whether, you know, how how come Black Lives Matter doesn't talk about black-on-black crime? We'll get into that a little bit later on, because I think it's a a discussion worth worth having. Um, But this is something that that always happens. I've seen it happen so many times in so many different contexts. uh, When black folks are the victim of, whether it's police crime or other crime, whatever, George Zimmerman, why don't you talk about black-on-black crime? Well, you know, people do. I've said it before on this program. People do. Black people talk about so-called black-on-black crime. But the bottom line here is that the racialization of crime, all right, crime that is race-specific, is only applied to black people. There's, you know, people don't talk about white-on-white crime. People don't talk about any other type of crime that is intra-group, whether it's Jewish on Jewish, Latino on Latino, it is, in fact, specifically aimed at black people to the point that black people have adopted the same mantra. Oh, you can black on black crime. And of course, there are people who will, you know, talk, twist statistics, twist facts to make it seem like Crimes against black people by black people are only crimes committed in America. And that, of course, is complete nonsense. I don't know why. And maybe somebody can call and tell me why. So-called black-on-black crime is the only crime that is racialized in this country. You know, there was a, a state trooper in Louisiana who was tragically shot and killed. Allegedly by a white guy. They don't say that that's an example of white-on-white crime. Columbine wasn't. The Littleton Theater shootings weren't. Sandy Hook in Connecticut wasn't. You can go on and on and on. And even when there's a situation where, for example, an Asian may end up killing people, they still don't racialize crime except for black people. And I'm curious what you know, what do people why do people think that we are singled out this way? I'd love to hear from you. 877 874 4888. That is 877 874 4 cuz I I got to be I, I got to tell you. I don't know. I can't figure it out. It is mind-boggling to me. And when it comes to Black Lives Matter, you know, the Sean King situation is uh, what used to be called, it's a shibboleth. It's a shield. You can't attack Black Lives Matter for anything else, so attack them for this. These same people, by the way, They haven't been attacking, they didn't attack Black Lives Matter over disrupting uh, Bernie Sanders because they don't like Bernie Sanders any more than they like Black Lives Matter. They wish all of them would just go away. Stop talking about this stuff. And they wish Bernie Sanders stopped running for president. But that's another discussion for another day. The bottom line is, it's such a lot of nonsense. Now, there was a tragedy that took place in Virginia. And I guess there are going to be some people that make out the notion because the shooter was an African-American, a guy named Bryce Williams, who uh, actually uh, had a different name, uh, Vester Lee Flanagan. He took the lives of a news reporter, television news reporter, and a photographer and videographer. He was himself was Vester Lee Williams, uh, Flanagan, excuse me, Vester Lee Flanagan. I don't know why I want to call everybody Williams. Anyway, he was fired by a Virginia television station, the same station that these two folks worked for. And, in fact, they were in the middle of doing an interview. This was all captured on videotape. And the guy apparently did it deliberately so it would be caught on videotape and cold-bloodedly murdered two people in cold blood. There's no excuse for that. And, I mean, if you want to cast a bow for blame, how about we start talking about how a lunatic like this got a gun? Because that's the common thread with the state trooper in Louisiana. How do these people get guns? And somebody apparently communicated with my wife through some form of social media, God knows which one, and said, well, what new laws would you come up with that would curb, you know, gun violence, but still allow law-abiding citizens to carry guns? And the answer to that is not new laws, better laws. There are laws on the books that would, in theory, restrict, people with mental problems, people who are disturbed, people who have a propensity toward violence from having guns. But the problem is that the laws are unevenly applied and they're not shared from state to state so that people can go to one state and get a gun and move to another state and use it, no matter what their situation, no matter what their mental state of mind. Now, this was uh, a a situation that, as the New York Times described it, marked a horrific turn in the national intersection of video violence and social media. Because the guy apparently put up some video of the shooting on social media. Social media is starting to get on my nerves, I got to tell you. I mean, I use it periodically. I have a lot of people I communicate with on Facebook, and they're dear friends, and many of them, most of them. And I don't get to see him as often. So social media is a great place to say, hey, what's up? How you been? Um, But I have to say, this situation, and please don't misunderstand me. I am not advocating shutting down social media in any way, shape, or form. I am advocating keeping guns out of the hands of people who would do violence against other people with those guns. And this Vester Lee Flanagan who apparently worked at WDBJ, uh, had aired grievances against the station and other employees before he was dismissed two years ago. He apparently, he said uh, somewhere, and I guess in his uh, uh, Twitter account or whatever, that he had filed a complaint with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission against this station and another station he worked for, and I believe in Tallahassee, Florida. As it turned out, This is one of those stories that evolved during the course of the day. It's kind of like the stock market the last few days, and we'll get to that too. But uh, Vester Lee Flanagan uh, apparently led police on a chase before shooting himself, apparently while he was driving his car, and he's dead. So we will, as is the case in so many other instances, we're never going to know what demons drove this man to do what he did. It's as far as I can tell, not that he had a personal beef with these people, although they were out doing an interview in a shopping center at like six forty-five in the morning, which is early. That's like relatively early in the morning. Most newscasts start, uh, news television news shows start like at six o'clock. You know, Good Morning Southwest Virginia, whatever. You know, they they do reports that early, but it's interesting that this guy chose that time of day to do what he did and to seemingly brag about it through social media. Uh, Vester Lee Flanagan claimed to have been, or claimed to have been subject to racist comments in the workplace. Now, the president and general manager of the station, WDBJ, confirmed that the complaint had been filed, but said it had been dismissed as baseless. Of the racist comments, quote, none of them could be corroborated by anyone we think they were fabricated. I don't know if they were fabricated or not. I don't know if he had a legitimate beef about racism in that TV station or not. I do know that the way you settle beefs about racism is not to go out and murder two people. And the third lady apparently is in critical but stable condition. That's not the solution to this. And, and, you know, most rational people, I think, know that. They know that this, this is not a way to settle a beef. Uh, but it, it is how some people settle beef. And if and when people can get a hold of guns, as was the case here, they can subtle beefs with deadly force deadly force now abc news reported that it had gotten a 23 page fax from this guy and had given it to law enforcement officials a virginia government official who saw the facts described it as quote rantings of an obviously depressed individual who mentioned suicide but does not talk about killing others now i don't know when they got this fax but it would seem to me like if they got it before all of this happened, like maybe some of this stuff slipped through the cracks. I can't say for certain. Uh, Police officers followed him. They call him Mr. Williams, Bryce Williams, which I guess was his on-air name. He was driving a rental car northbound on Interstate 81 and eastbound on Interstate 66. As the troopers tried to pull him over about 1130, In the morning, which was about five hours after the shootings took place, uh, he sped away and minutes later ran off the road and crashed. Uh, He had worked at television stations across the South, including Greenville, North Carolina, Savannah, Georgia, and Tallahassee, Florida. His online profile said he got a bachelor's degree from San Francisco State University. Now, he did file a lawsuit about racism, at a station, WTWC, in Tallahassee, Florida. That case, according to the New York Times, was settled on undisclosed terms. Uh, but, you know, things, according to one colleague, things started getting a little strange. But it didn't stop him from getting a TV news job. And then he got fired from that TV news job. And the rest we know. And it's sad. It's ugly. And it's sad. As is the next story I'm going to talk about. I mentioned it earlier. Louisiana State Trooper died on Monday after being shot in the head on Sunday during a traffic stop. And the man charged in this shooting was being investigated in connection with another fatality. The suspect is Kevin D. Daigle, 54, charged with first-degree murder. Now, again, ain't nobody calling this white-on-white crime. They're not. And maybe they shouldn't. But to raise the specter of black-on-black crime when black people compare or complain about getting shot while unarmed by cops is ugly and absurd. Ugly and absurd. Senior Trooper Stephen J. Vincent was the trooper who was killed. And He was wounded on Sunday afternoon after he stopped to investigate a pickup truck in a ditch along the Texas-Louisiana border. The truck had been reported for possible drunk driving. Apparently, that shooting was recorded on video and that the trooper, Trooper Vincent, had offered to help Kevin Daigle, who eventually opened fire with a sawed-off shotgun, a sawed-off shotgun. Now, this guy, uh, fortunately, was restrained, apparently, at the scene. And they say that those who were at the scene believe that Kevin Dega was intoxicated and may have been under the influence of at least one other type of drug. They went to his house on Monday. And they found a man dead. They're investigating his death as a homicide. Well, yeah, that might make sense. Uh, authorities say they believe that there had been an, an altercation between Kevin Daigle and the dead man. So, they and, and by the way, they had dealt with him before. So the governor of Louisiana has ordered buildings to have uh, their flags flown at half-staff until Friday. And I'm mentioning this story for a very, very specific reason. You see, in many instances, when, again, black people complain about the police and this and that and the other, then it becomes a divide. And you got black folks on one side saying the police are brutal, the police are this, the police are that. And you've got other people on the other side, supporters of the police, who say black people are not concerned when cops are shot. Well, I'm concerned when cops are shot. I consider myself to be a progressive, and I don't want to see it, because I got friends who are cops. Some retired, some, some still on the job. I don't want to see a hair on their heads harmed, period. So I mentioned this story about this Louisiana state trooper, just in case nobody else does. So they can't say, well, you know, you black people, you know, you don't care if a state trooper gets killed. And he wasn't killed by a black guy, but you'll never hear this described as a white-on-white crime. I don't want to do this, and my good friend Harriet from Bayside, forgive me. And by the way, happy anniversary as well. Uh, I have to mention the person that she says is he who shall not be named. I'm talking, of course, about the blowhard otherwise known as Donald Trump who has gotten so much media attention, it is frightening, absolutely frightening. This man could cut the cheese and there'd be about five minutes worth of time on one of the cable channels about it. That's how important and central Donald Trump has become to the political court of public opinion in this country. It is utterly amazing. You know, I mean, uh, he's become the P.T. Barnum of Republican presidential politics. You know, I mean, the whole nine. So now he goes after a guy by the name of Jorge Ramos, who I've heard of before, actually, works for Spanish language uh, network Univision, and... You know, Donald Trump has never had the greatest relationship with Spanish language media. And certainly that relationship hasn't gotten any better after he made the comments he made about immigrants. Um, So Jorge Ramos gets up. I guess he was having a presser or something. uh, And uh, Donald Trump had him thrown out of the presser. Thrown out. And I guess that means this is kind of like reached an absolute low point, boiling point, whatever. This is a news conference in Dubuque, Iowa. And he er erupted at Jorge Ramos. Man, Jorge, don't go to Dubuque (laughs) I I know that's your job and everything. Uh, He tried to ask a question without being called on. Oh, my God, sin of sins. Trump then signaled to one of his security guards who physically removed Jorge Ramos from the event. Jorge Ramos said, don't touch me, sir, don't touch me. I have the right to ask a question. Ramos eventually came back. He was was allowed by Donald Trump and his security people to return. And they had a back and forth that lasted somewhere on the order of five minutes. Well, the Latino media Hasn't been too in love with Donald Trump of late. Uh, El Mandrill, uh, a guy named Ricardo Sanchez, has a Spanish-language drive-time radio show in L.A. Uh, he calls Donald Trump, translated to English, the man of the toupee. Uh, some people complain that the Spanish-language media's rough treatment of Donald Trump is advocacy, not journalism. Maybe, maybe not. There's always been a thin line. I've done both. I try to let people know when I'm being an advocate as opposed to being a journalist. But it happens. It absolutely happens. And my thing is, Spanish language media should not be the only media that takes umbrage at what this clown has to say. You know, build a wall, not a fence, a wall, along the U.S.-Mexican border, which I think is like, what, 1,900, 2,000 miles? Build a wall. And how's he going to build a wall? Well, well, I'll get the best people. You know, I, I assume he'll call it the Trump wall because he tends to name everything after himself. Although, I guess if he somehow got elected president, he might not be able to do all that. But don't think he wouldn't try. Um, The point of this article in the New York Times is that they have been, the Spanish language news media, that is, much more aggressive in their coverage of Donald Trump than the mainstream media has been. Uh, And and certainly, given his statements about immigrants and Mexicans, that might be expected. I know uh, uh, Jorge Ramos says, quote, this is personal. And that's the big difference between Spanish language and mainstream media because he's talking about our parents, our friends, our kids, and our babies. And people just don't seem to get that. That people who've been here for, Latinos who've been here for generations take umbrage at the notion that there is this gigantic movement against undocumented immigrants. And there's a good reason for that. And and they're even getting to this point, and I'm not going to use the term because I find it to be so offensive as to not want to use it, but I'm talking about uh, children who were born in the States from undocumented parents. They want to amend the 14th Amendment so that those children would not be considered U.S. citizens. And that is so racist it is so ugly that i can't imagine how people think that this is in any way shape or form the american way of doing anything i don't care what it is but i do have a solution yes i do um and uh, you know show you how far this is going now jeb bush who by the way you know, belong to an organization that specifically said, don't use that term. And I think you all know the term I'm talking about. I hope you do. Now he's starting to use the term. And he mentioned Asians. So Congresswoman Grace Meng from Queens and California Congresswoman Judy Chu tore into him because Bush said that Asian people were responsible. For the phenomenon of children born to foreign nationals on American soil, making the infants American citizens, with the potential to gain legal status for their families. Now, if people do, if they're serious about this, if they're serious about this, I have a solution. I mean, you know, Jeb Bush, I I agree with, with Grace Meng and Judy Chu. This makes the man unfit to be president. But, I, you know, if you want to take this whole thing to its logical conclusion, let's do the following. Let's go back to the beginning of the 20th century. And everybody who came here from someplace else, who's currently living in the United States, you have to document that whoever it was in your family that came here, came here legally. Every last one. And you know who ought to vet this? And the government, if if they're serious, ought to spend the money to train the people. You know who ought to do this? Native Americans. They ought to have a commission composed predominantly of the indigenous people in this country and let them pass on who came in, documented, and who didn't. Because what you're going to find, I suspect, if you dig deeply enough, is that there are large numbers of people are now second, third, fourth generation, whatever, in this country, whose people came here illegally, without papers. They were allowed to stay, but they came here technically illegally. And they had kids here who became American citizens. So my thing is, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Go back and let's start documenting everybody who came here illegally and had kids here. I think you might be surprised at who would end up being the so-called anchor babies. And that's the only time I'm using it. It is ugly. It is un-American. For people to talk seriously about Messing with the I'm starting to say something I shouldn't have said. Messing with the Fourteenth Amendment to the United States Constitution to keep certain people out of this country—they ought to hang their heads in shame. That doesn't mean that you know you open the doors completely. Although I don't have as big a problem with immigration as many people do, but you fix the system. You don't gut the Fourteenth Amendment. I believe you need to keep in place the idea that undocumented people who come here and have their kids here, those kids are American citizens, period. I mean, you don't know, looking back over the course of the last century, the 20th century, how many people whose parents came here illegally, ended up making vast contributions to America. Vast contributions to America. And the people who are coming in now have the potential, if they're properly educated, if they're healthy, to make vast contributions to America. Clear a path for them to become legal, those that are here. Make it, you know, uh, and, and this is the one thing I will say. There are people who come here all the time on visas. The visas expire. They disappear. And nobody, not in the government and certainly not Donald Trump, nobody knows what happened to those folks. Nobody. That's why the system is broken. That's how the system is broken. But they don't want to fix that. They'd rather gut the 14th Amendment. It is disgusting, to say the least. We're going to take a break at 630. I've been bloviating for the last half hour. 877-874-4888 is our number. 877-874-4888. Whatever may be on your mind, come on with it. I got no problems. We're going to take a very quick break. Jesse is on the board this evening. And thank you for your work, Jesse. We'll be right back with more of The Mark Riley Show. radio network.
1: Best host of Political Analysis. Welcome to the 21st century, where the corporate propaganda machine works 24-7 to manufacture your reality. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, political analysis challenges the corporate narrative with independent news, analysis, and passionate conversations on the most critical issues of our time. Don't let the corporate echo machine become your truth. Tune in live to Political Analysis or visit the archives at prn.fm. If you like the show, rate us in iTunes. The Progressive Radio Network is moving forward, and we hope you are coming with us.
0: Stay tuned to PRN.FM for more empowering ideas from. the hour of seven o'clock it's the mark riley show i am mark riley man i hate it hate it hate it and i don't hate much but i hate it when my computer freezes which is i think what just happened uh but be that as it may before it froze i was told that harriet from bayside is on hold harriet how you doing
1: i'm okay and thank you so much for the anniversary wishes
0: oh no problem happy anniversary
1: Thank you. And even though you talked about he who must not be named, because
0: the more
1: time his name is mentioned, the better he likes it.
0: I know. I know. You know, it's funny because the Latin media that is spending so much time dogging him out is giving him more time than the mainstream media is. Right. So, but, I mean, look, we got skin mean- in the game. You know, when, when people call both criminals and rapists, you got to respond.
1: Well, all right, but you don't have to keep on responding. Anyway, what uh-huh. who we should be talking about is Hillary Clinton, who the State Department says those emails are, are, have nothing illegal, and there's nothing wrong with anything she did.
0: I know, but they're going to find something wrong with something she did, Harry. You know that.
1: Because they're terrified of her.
0: Did you see? Uh, I, I saw something on the New York Post website today about why America is, is finished with Hillary Clinton or something along those lines. They're trying to. I uh, don't like read the New York Post. Her. Just like they're trying to gut the 14th Amendment, they're trying to gut her. That's what they're doing. Oh, sure.
1: Like they tried to gut her husband, remember?
0: Yeah. Well, her husband they couldn 't gut <laughs> he was too popular, yeah. and he was an That's incumbent right. president at the time. uh right now she wants to be president, and yes. you know, the the other party's machinery is trying its level best and you watch the minute mm-hmm. that the email thing dies down they're going to find back something else
1: sure even- Joe, they're even trying to find Joe Biden, God help us.
0: Well, I don't think Joe, I, I, and I could be wrong about this, but I'm not sure Joe Biden's going to actually run. I really don't. I don't
1: think so either. And if he were to be the nominee, I don't think he could win.
0: Well, it depends he's if he's running against Donald Trump. Not the greatest
1: candidate, he would, huh? He's not the world's greatest politician.
0: Well, you know, there's a lot of people, a lot of past presidents haven't been the world's greatest politicians. Warren Harding comes immediately to mind. But oh, I mean, look, well,
1: I wasn't around during the time of Warren Harding.
0: Oh no, me neither. But I did a lot of reading about Warren Harding and you know there's a big thing now that uh apparently they got a DNA match uh to the daughter of his mistress.
1: All right. <laughs> All right.
0: You know, but I mean, look. Well, um, Joe Biden is not the world's greatest politician, but he's not a stupid man. I just don't no, think he just at this point he's got the, you know, I, I don't think he wants to run. I don't think he wants it. Hillary wants it.
1: Yes. And Bernie Sanders wants it.
0: Yep. And Martin O'Malley Martin wants it. Martin O'Malley,
1: I think, wants it.
0: Yeah, he does. And, and by the way, he's a very interesting candidate that nobody's talking about.
1: Yeah. And uh, they're not talking about Lincoln Chafee.
0: Nope, nope, and they won't. They'll give Ben Carson, Chris Christie, Carly Fiorina. They'll give all of those folks more ink, more television yeah. time than they're going to give the other Democrats other than Hillary Clinton. Now they have to give Bernie Sanders some time because he's actually getting large audiences, uh, and he's you yeah. know been on the stump articulating actual uh, policy, uh, an actual policy platform, unlike he who shall not be named.
1: Yep. How would he be as a vice president?
0: Who? Bernie Sanders. He might be interesting. He might be very interesting. I'll tell you who I would think would be a real interesting ticket would be Bernie and Elizabeth Warren. I don't think she'd do it, but I I think she'd be an interesting... I think she might be an interesting running mate for Hillary. Although... uh, No.
1: No no two women.
0: No two women.
1: I would think it would either... Hillary and Lincoln Chafee.
0: Lincoln Chafee might not be bad. But I, I you know, I, I really am at a point, Harriet, where uh, two women don't scare me. What's the problem? Yeah,
1: they, of course they don't scare you. But they scare a good percentage of the ticket. And besides, I think that Hillary's vice presidential candidate really should be young. Should be young? Yes,
0: Link- because Lincoln Hillary Chap is isn't. no kid. If you want to go young, the youngest of the people that are running is O'Malley.
1: Yeah. All right, then Hillary and O'Malley.
0: They would be interesting together. They would be interesting. But see, Hillary hasn't finished running the gauntlet yet. You still got oh. Benghazi. You still got the sins of her husband. They're going to bring up everything but the kitchen sink on her. Like
1: they did with her husband during the 92 campaign, and it didn't stop until the very end.
0: I know, but Fox News wasn't the power then that it is now.
1: Well, even so, the Republican
0: Party was. Oh, the Republican Party was. But, I mean, the Republican Party has become a clown show since he who shall not be named has decided to run.
1: Absolutely. You
0: know, Absolutely. he just runs around being ridiculous and everybody else is trying to out-ridiculous him, which is impossible. <laughs> it really is. You can't well, beat Trump at being ridiculous.
1: Um. Well, Chris Christie, who someone on another station refers to as Shamu.
0: Oh, see, I wouldn't go that far, but...
1: Um, yeah. uh, look, you know who I'm talking
0: about, right? Who? Who calls him Shamu? Um, I look, I, I don't need to call names. All you have to right. do is look at Chris Christie's record as governor of New Jersey. Look what he did with the Hudson River Tunnels, which he's now paying for, by the way. Good uh, for him. And, and look at how he has governed the state of New Jersey, which is largely through bluster.
1: And look what he has done to education.
0: Yep. Well, Look at what he's done all the way around. Remember they well, downgraded sure. New Jersey's bond rating, what was it, five times or something?
1: Uh, by the way, I was referring to Curtis Sliwa.
0: Oh, Curtis. <laughs> yeah. I don't know I have no idea who Curtis is backing in all this. But uh do I. when I tell you. Um Christie, Carson Carson might be interesting. If, you know, if he's able to slog along,
1: I thought Scott Walker might be a dark, a dark horse, but he
0: seems not to have gotten much traction.
1: Not doesn't have a chance. Who, Walker? No, I mean, Carson.
0: Oh, Carson. Maybe yeah, not.
1: Doesn't have a chance.
0: He's polling right behind Trump in the last poll I saw.
1: That's all right. Now,
0: Walker, heaven help us. Oh, I, absol- I agree with all of these people, As heaven help us. Even Pataki, who's polling about 1.5 percent, haven't helped us.
1: Yeah. Um, The the one that seemed to make the most sense when I watched the debate was John Kasich.
0: All right. Well, let me ask you this. Yeah. Uh, It's the end of August. Let's say you're getting ready to sit down and have Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. How many of these 17 do you think will still be left? I
1: have no idea. have to wait until the next uh, debate.
0: I don't know if, any, if anybody's going to drop out. Well, maybe Pataki may drop out after the next debate. You know, sooner Pataki or later their money's going to dry uh, up.
1: There's a lot of pressure for Christie to drop out.
0: I know. He pro- I think he will. I saw somebody uh, who wrote a column. As a matter of fact, I think it was a Jersey column. who said he was going to be gone right after Labor Day.
1: It could well be true.
0: Uh, well yeah. it, it, it's addition by subtraction. <laughs> That's all it that is. How addition I gotta run. by
1: subtraction. That's a beautiful one, <laughs> considering that I am not a mathematician by any stretch of the imagination.
0: Oh, me neither. Me neither. But listen, I got to run. But thank you so much for calling okay. again. Happy, happy, happy birthday. Happy anniversary to you and your husband, huh? Thank you so very much. All right, you take care. Harriet from Bayside, glad to have her with us this evening. And again, you can join us at 877 874 4888. 877 874 4888. Have you been checking out the stock market lately? I mean, it, it's, it's been like a ride a great adventure. You know, on Monday, it appeared as though the bottom fell out. They, the markets opened, it was down like a thousand points. A thousand. Points. I didn't even think they allowed it to go that far. I thought they would suspend trading after 350, but I think it was right on the opening bell. It was down 1,000. It ended up Monday being down about 500 points. Uh, yesterday, it started out strong and then fell back to a loss of about 200 some odd points. Today, apparently, it did finish stronger, but there are people, economists, who know a lot more about this than I do, who are starting to get a case of the yips. They're starting to say that all of these different economies and all of these different markets where uh, there have been losses, equities markets, the Brazilian equity market down 45%, this market down 20-some-odd percent, the Koreans down 20-some-odd percent. Um, And what they're saying is that if Americans think for a minute that this is going to be... Uh, a situation that will not in any way affect the U.S. economy, they're wrong. When you take huge amounts of money out of the global economy, it will affect people's 401ks. It will affect a, a lot of different stuff in this country and affect average, everyday Americans. And, you know, this could spell trouble for normal folks. Remember what happened in 2008. It wasn't just that the market cratered. It was that the housing bubble burst. A bunch of stuff happened, one right after the other. And next thing you know, ordinary people were seeing their retirement savings evaporate before their very eyes. Evaporate. And what a lot of people I think are complaining about now is that there were not steps taken to make sure that the economy will not crater in the same fashion again. Now, they are going to be ups and downs, obviously. The market, the stock market's going to go up and down, fortunately. I got no money in the market. But the idea that what's going on in China, and, you know, there, there was a time, in my lifetime anyway, I don't know about the rest of you all, but in my lifetime, people paid absolutely no attention to the economic fortunes of China. Nobody cared. It was a communist country back then, you know, they called Red China. And nobody cared one way or the other what happened to the Chinese economy. Now they do. Now they have to. They're being forced to because China has become an economic power. And as China goes, so goes a lot of other countries in the rest of the world. And eventually, maybe even America. What happens if the Chinese economy gets so bad that they start calling their notes on American paper? You know, call on the margin. What happens then? Just something to contemplate, something to think about. Um, Also something to think about. Lady named Marcy Borders. She was the subject of that photograph from September 11, 2001. They called her the Dust Lady because she was thoroughly covered in dust. She was, I believe, in the South Tower of the World Trade Center, and got out just before it collapsed. And she was just, there was a picture somebody took of her. She was completely covered in white dust uh, and looking stunned, as were many people that day. And she's now passed away at the age of 42. She was 28, apparently, at the time. She died of cancer, stomach cancer, at the age of 42. She, while she was alive, did ask the question many times, after she was diagnosed, did this have anything to do with 9-11? I don't even think that's worth getting into an argument about. And it ought to be a lesson to politicians that whatever the first responders and the other people that went down there and risked their lives for others and really haven't been justly compensated, and and some have died, just like Marcy Borders did, uh, that fight And I think a a lot of it's been won now, but that fight, if it's not over, it needs to be over yesterday. And it's so sad. Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York, mentioned Marcy Borders, I think, in a tweet. That's how everybody does stuff now, by social media. It was a tragedy. The poor woman ended up having a substance abuse problem, a few other things, after 9-11. And, you know, given the trauma of what she experienced, I'm not all that surprised actually that she may have had some problems that way although she's she was apparently sober before she died she had had come to sobriety but it's just so sad to hear about this and to realize that that area down there was toxic I don't care what anybody says that area was toxic I remember very clearly Christy Whitman who at the time I think was the head of the EPA, former governor of New Jersey, telling people it's okay, you can go back. You can go back down into lower Manhattan. Even as when you got off the train, you could still smell that burnt rubber, combination of burnt rubber and burnt electricity throughout lower Manhattan for at least six months after September 11, 2001. So rest in peace, Marcy Borders, and we're sad that you passed away. Have you heard about these black women that were thrown off that Napa train, the wine tour train, (laughs) for talking too loud? I mean, come on, come on. Not only were they thrown off the train, they were escorted down like six cars in front of people. And they had the cops waiting for them. Uh, or at least the cops were called. Apparently, by the time the cops got there, they had already gone. It was a reading society. I think it was called a Sisters Reading Edge Society, something like that. So, you know, their plight went viral. You know, you, you you can't mess up like this that much anymore without people finding out exactly how stupid you actually are. So they got an apology from the CEO of that, company that runs those tour trains i always wonder like would there have been an apology had this not gone viral? i guess that's one of the benefits of social media would they have gotten anything at all would they have gotten a glass of wine even because apparently what what they've done to try and level it up is to offer these ladies a full 50 car or 50 person capacity train for themselves to have like a party on or something. Uh but the one of the women that I saw quoted said like, you know, that that's all well and good, apologies all well and good, but we were humiliated. Now, you know, uh, people have different tolerance levels for loudness. Okay? Uh there are times if I'm by myself, I don't want to hear a bunch of people yelling and screaming and hollering and carrying on. And, uh, but see, the important part of this is I don't know how loud they actually were. You know, I mean, it's not like they were hollering and screaming in the library or something like that. They were on a train going to wine country. What did, what did people expect them to do? And I think to those ladies, I believe they were from Antioch, California the clear inference was you're black you're loud get off of the train ceo apologize and they'll you know they'll get their free train ride and that's cool but ought to be so, ought to be something a little cautionary about all of this now there's one story that i have to get to before we're done and we got a few minutes left to do it so i'm going to do it you know there has been so much written about and, and a lot of airtime given to uh the people they call the denudas. Are y'all familiar with the Danudas? These women that are partially clad who uh apparently parade through Times Square and get their picture taken with tourists and they get tips. You would have thought these people were trying to detonate a bomb in the middle of Times Square. The city powers that be, the media powers that be, acted as though these women were terrorists. Something has to be done. Unfortunately, and and I read a quote from my good friend Brian Kuby about this, uh, they're going to have to do something unusual, which they've already tried, by the way. But they're going to have to do something unusual to criminalize these women. Because it is not against the law in New York City, since 1992, I might add, for women to walk around topless. At one time in this city, men could walk around topless, but women could not. And one of the courts struck that down. And, well, they should. It's sexist. Now, you know, I'm not going to tip any woman, you know. Uh, who walks around half naked? I, I just wouldn't. That's not my thing. And I'm a happily married man. My wife is here. I can't say anything but that. <laughs> but I have to say uh, for the city to go through conniptions about this, for the daily news to editorialize and act as if they've exposed some huge scandal with these women is beyond the pale. It's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. As far as I'm concerned, anyway. Uh, but, you know, they, day after day for the last week or so, and I was out of town for a week, but day after day, there have been editorials, there have been this, there have been that, these people are offensive to tourists, what about the children? Uh, come on. Now, the latest wrinkle is that they are allegedly in other areas of the city. They've gone down to Battery Park. Some of the other characters, the Mickey Mouses and Spider-Man and all of that, they've gone to Battery Park and there have been turf wars and they're out to Coney Island and there are turf wars out there. And the city is kind of like trying to say, you know what? We want to get rid of all of these people. Because see, here's here's the bad part. There's a guy called the Naked Cowboy that walks around in his underwear and a pair of boots He's been in Times Square for years. Ain't nobody called, you know, acted as though there has to be editorials getting him out of Times Square. Nothing. And Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney was the most sensible about this. She had a press conference about something else earlier today. And she said, look, if you're going to either pass laws or otherwise legislate against these women, and in, you know, infringe on their ability to do this, then you have to do it for everybody. You can't just do it for women. You have to do it for men too. And therein, of course, for politicians lies the rub, because they're not going to be able to figure out how to do it for women and not for men. They can't. They can try and get rid of the naked cowboy, but I mean, there's a precedent here. You know, whether you consider it art or not, whether you consider it a First Amendment issue or not, the bottom line is don't you all have anything else to do? We've got a spiking homeless population, ridiculously high, and you all are arguing about. And by the way, it's even gotten to the point that the governor has weighed in, such as it is. Why, I ask, why? Why is it so important that semi-naked women in Times Square becomes a central issue in the life of this great city? You know, I mean, I can tell you what, come November, December, they're not going to be out there anymore. They won't be there during the Macy's Day Parade. They won't be there on New Year's Eve, not semi-naked like that. That creates a health issue, to be quite honest with you, because they'll be sick as dogs. But I guess they want to make sure, I mean, the mayor went as far as to say, well, we may have to get rid of the pedestrian plazas we have in Times Square just to get rid of them. That's crazy. That's absurd. Come on. You know, and by the way, they went so far as sending state troopers to Times Square to pull these women off the streets take their valuables to the local police precinct and interrogate them. You know, because they're trying to say that the, the, the men that help keep them safe or whatever it is that they do, that they're pimps. God. That's just, file that under our don't you have anything better to do file. How about that? And finally, this evening, Mayor Bill de Blasio says that New Yorkers are not believing the hype about the negative press he's been receiving of late. And believe me, he's been getting some negative press of late. Uber, charter schools, the Denudas, you name it. And the rising crime, supposedly, homelessness. They've been hitting Bill de Blasio on all fronts. Now, some of that is pure and simple, an optics and a a messaging problem. (laughs) I hate to use, uh, you know, millennial, millennial speak to describe this stuff. But the fact of the matter is a lot of it has to do with his team's inability to get his message out properly. But the flip side is don't ignore this stuff, Mr. Mayor. Don't ignore it. Now, you know, there's some media in this town had no interest in you being mayor, period. They backed Joe Loder when you ran. So you know you could kind of x them out to an extent. But their war against you has been relentless, and don't think that because their circulations are relatively low, that that means that everybody in New York is paying no attention. And I mean, I don't believe the polling numbers necessarily that have him with a, a, an approval ra- a, a disapproval rating of about 44%. But the way you deal with this stuff, man, is to put some points on the board and tell people what points you've already put on the board. You know, I know pre K has gone very well. He's attacked the housing issue. He's done some good stuff. But you got to make sure everybody knows you're doing good stuff. And you got to have a rapid response for all of this negative nonsense, including, by the way, waffling on the, on the uh, carriage horse band and a couple of other things that, you know, you just got to take care of business, Mr. Mayor. And with that, we leave you because it's seven o'clock. This has been the Mark Riley Show. My name is Mark Riley. Thanks so much to Jesse for all his great work. Forgive me, the computer froze up. I didn't get into as much detail as I would have liked on some of these stories. But we'll be back next week, God willing, in the creek. Don't rise at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. For the Mark Riley Show, I'm Mark Riley. Have yourselves a great rest of the evening and a better week ahead.